With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. everybody you are listening to the best radio show in the land the inside acting radio show i am your host the kdoc that's king of dc media william powell thanks for tuning in this show is brought to you by the magnificent column dc actors examiner where you'll find a number of exciting and entertaining articles about the business and the craft of acting you should be advertising on this show for two weeks only, you can order a free 30-second ad on this show. Now, that's a deal, folks. You can't be free. Send me an ad, and I'll read it on the air. Tonight, my guest is none other than filmmaker and family activist Tim Alexander. Now, Tim is the writer-director of Diary of a Tired Black Man, a narrative dramatic comedy centering on the challenges of African-American men and women in their relationships. Later on tonight, my guest will be Chanel Ryan, a prolific Hollywood actress who has been in nearly 50 movies, many of them horror films. Now, before we get to Tim and Chanel, I want to give a shout-out to my buddy, writer, actor, Michael Mack, who has made The Drum Major which is a documentary about Martin Luther King, which was screened last night at the University of the District of Columbia. So he gave me a little excerpt to read here. Michael Mack's film, The Drum Major, tells the story of Martin Luther King's last and most challenging year from April 4, 1967 to April 4, 1968. It was an official selection of the Amnesty International Human Rights Film Festival in 2010 and is now being distributed by First Rights Films. You can see it for free anytime at www.firstrightsfilms.com. That's firstrightsfilms.com. Once you get to the website, click on Browse Films and then put in the drum major or Michael Mack in the search box and you will get a brand new experience of Dr. King's life and times. Yes, indeed. So without further ado, let me go ahead and bring in Tim Alexander, family activist, Christian, filmmaker, father, and an all-around opinionated guy. And here he hey, is. Hey, how are you? 
Good evening, Brother Tim. How is everything out there in California? Everything is great. That's good. What part of L.A. are you in now? Uh, I'm in the West Hollywood area. Okay, okay, all right. So now, as a filmmaker, I know a lot of filmmakers, they get into film for a lot of different reasons, but you seem to have gotten involved because you have relationship themes you want to explore in your films. Why did you take that approach to filmmaking? Um, I can't say that was my initial effort. I was um, a fashion photographer for a number of years, and um, actors were always trying to get the ultimate headshot. So even more than that, they wanted to get a reel. I decided uh-huh. to put together a company where I would make acting demo reels. And right. I figured after I shot maybe 100 little short things, I'd be able to do a real feature film. So... Um, hmm. I had this group of actors together that want to showcase your acting ability, and I wrote that scene because of something that had happened to me a year earlier. I wrote that okay. scene to that made me feel the scene at the door. And it went viral. And uh, people demanded to see the rest of the movie, so I built a movie around that clip, and then the rest was history. Okay, okay. It's had a, a real impact. I mean, I, I would think that uh, the Diary of a Tired Black Man has really changed people's lives. What's some of the feedback you get from the film? Oh, wow. It's so varied. Um, there's a lot of women say thank you. They say nobody ever told me to look at myself, to look at me. And mm. they're very curious to see, well, what are men tired of? Because they've never looked at it from the other side. The mainstream media doesn't show it. They're right. frustrated. Others never tell them their friends. There's, there's nobody really thinking from the man's side. What does a good man go through? And so it's a real eye-opener. Uh, a lot of times there's an emotional push back just at first glance. It's an automatic rejection of it, like, you know, he's got to be the problem. Um, yeah. And then calm down. I've had some women look at it and get upset the first time. I said, look at it again. They look at it again. They're like, okay, I get it. Yeah, I see it. It's right. <laughs> That's good marketing. Yeah. <laughs> so how far along are you into uh, filming the sequel? Um, kind of am, kind of. Um, <laughs> right now I'm at the raising money stage. And um, it's funny, I'm between a rock and a hard place. I okay. need a little more money than just a little bit of money, but I need a whole lot less money than a lot of money. And either they want a loan big or a loan small. So when you're in that kind of that intermediate area, everybody's kind of looking at it like they see where it makes sense. But um, right. also it's been eight years in the remake, so they're wondering why it's taken so long to get the franchise rebooted. But I think it's great uh-huh. time because it gave you a chance to settle in, and now there's a new generation of people that need to see where it goes next. Right. Okay. So how'd you get Jimmy Jean Lewis? Uh, Jimmy Jean Louis, that's the French pronunciation. <laughs> He's hateful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was actually in the original three-minute clip when okay. it was never a movie. It was just shot to showcase the acting ability. And mm-hmm. people loved it. And uh, I didn't know what made it work. I didn't know what the magic was. So I decided to keep the original people from the original clip and build a movie around all of them. And it was oh, a good decision. Smart. Yeah, he brings a lot of dignity to the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's switch gears and talk about Mother's Love. How, how, how has that been received? 
Mother's Love has been received excellent. It's a gospel okay. film, and um, it has the same type of hard-hitting message as Tired Black Man, but it's done completely different. It doesn't have the brashness. It doesn't have the potty mouth. Um, it's a calmer, slower story, and it's all scripted. So it's a different look at why our relationships aren't working. And it clearly shows how the woman lost her way and got caught up in her ego, her material assets, her job, and she put that above her family and the price that she had to pay. Hmm. So we have to... Um, women have to understand that on the other side of 50, their career doesn't define them, but the quality yeah. of their family... And if you spent your life chasing your dreams, you can't go back and fix your family once it's gone awry. Your career doesn't hold you. Your career doesn't give you God's uh, grandbabies. Right. You know, so it's important that you lay the foundation for the future that you want to end up with and you manicure it. If you plant a garden, you have to groom your garden. You can't keep chasing something because when you get it, then what? By the time you get it, you're older. Uh, you have, I guess, less stock value in the big world because, you know, you're older and and you, you just don't have all that young energy and, and, and all the attention that you're used to getting. So then when that time where family means a lot to you, it's just not there to be had. Hmm. Yeah, that's um, that's so true. Now, what was the inspiration for that particular movie? Uh, Mother's Love, uh, my cousin's wife wrote a stage play. And then she gave it to me, and I converted it to a screenplay. So it started off as her stage play, and I took it off the stage. It was never performed. And I created a screenplay around it and let it play somewhat like a play, but in, in practical locations like a film. Okay. So it kind of has a very interesting feeling. It feels a little bit different. But at the same time, you really connect to it very deeply because most of the things play out in real time. They're a lot slower and more in-depth than most movies. Movies kind of move along and move you through a thing, whereas that's what sits inside the thing. Right. Okay, so I want to just kind of take a step back and look at... You know, you're a very opinionated guy, and I want to get your yes, opinion on a few things. Yes, yes, indeed. I see your posts out there in uh, the Internet, and uh, they're, they're very numerous and uh, very thought-provoking. So now what's your, your opinion of uh, how men are portrayed in the media these days? Awful. Uh, men are portrayed in the media in a very, very destructive and counterproductive way. Uh, it's very emasculating. We have so many young ladies don't have a father at all at home. Or if they yeah. do, a lot of times it's inadequate. So the only example they see of manhood outside of what's broken at home is weak men, emasculated men, effeminate men, dumb men, mm-hmm. stupid men. And so they still have an innate desire to be with a man, if they're heterosexual at least. And so mm-hmm. when they go and find this person they're compelled to be with, they usually pick somebody that has very little value because they're not used to um, uh, uh, dealing with value. When they meet a man who does have character standards, they feel like he's too much work or he's too demanding. Um, 
women have developed this thing that they do where they pick men who are beneath them and it makes it easy for them to not have to uh, take responsibility for their self because he's so much worse off. And it's almost like saying, I know I've got issues, but I'm better than you. And it's better to dump on him than to have to raise your own standards. So they have a tendency to pick men who are lower quality than they are. That's perpetuating a lot of broken children because these low-quality men leave as soon as the baby comes out or before the baby comes out. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of of truth to that. So let's move on to uh, everybody's favorite subject, uh, Tyler Perry. Now, personally, I'll put out there, I think that Tyler Perry, some of his movies, I think there's sort of an anti-male bent. Now, what's, what's your take on that? Oh, let's see. Um, <laughs> his style is unique. Uh, he's obviously the leader of the pack. You know, I can't uh, say anything <clears throat> against that. I mean, he's definitely defined the market for the current independent black filmmakers. I mean, he's, he's a man. Um, I think that his message sometimes um, goes in a few different directions. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes it goes in some directions. It, it needs to go further and other places it goes too far. Uh, but overall, what he's making are films that are entertain, entertaining and have a light um, uh, moral aspect to them. And they're very effective, and they are what they are. I'm going after something a little more intense, where the message is overriding the, the star power, and um, I want to really make a hard push to make the films leave a lasting impression on people that they can't really shake off for a lifetime. Mm, yeah, yeah. Now, what's your take on uh, the show Have and Have Not? You know, I haven't actually seen that show. Okay. I okay. actually well, have not seen the Have and Have, have Not. That one I missed. <laughs> okay, well, it is uh, it is what, what it is. I think it's, uh, I'm not a TV critic, but uh, it's a show that Tyler Perry put together for the Oxygen Channel, and it's... Um, it has its ups and downs and all around, but I think it kind of falls into what you were saying earlier about uh, Mr. Perry and that it um, it doesn't go in depth and it doesn't really leave, I guess, a deep impression. So that makes me think about, uh, personally, do you see yourself as one who's going to be developing TV shows? Do you see uh, TV show development in your future? Yes. Yes, eventually we'll get there. I'm just, I'm just one big hit away from opening up a, lot, a big chasm of a lot of things I want to do. So I okay. just need a good hit, and then once I get one thing that really gets me some momentum, then everything will just start moving from there. Oh, for sure. Yes, I definitely sure. want to uh, to do some significant things across all media platforms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so now, definitely on my radar. Yeah, I mean it's all about momentum. If you have that one hit, I think that'll that really makes a huge difference. 
So I want to yeah. kind of switch gears a little bit toward, and we talked about how men are portrayed in the media. What about religious faith? How, how do you think religious faith is handled in the media? I'm sorry, how do I think religious what? Reli- religious faith. Oh, religious faith. Um, oh, that's also interesting in the sense of usually... Um, they're showing a, a watered-down version that's popular and um, a very nice uh, guy who's all the good parts and none of the wrath, none of the judgment. They don't show the responsible side of Christianity as far as standing up to God's values and standards. And um, in one way, you have a group of people that can take pot shots at Christianity and say whatever they want to unlock it. And then you have Christians who basically, their lifestyles make a mockery of Christianity because they're professing, professing Christ and not really living up to it. And um, then you have a few things that are genuinely, you know, pretty good. I, I've seen some movies that found the right niche where they communicated a message and um, did it with respect in every different direction. Uh, not just trying to make a, a shameless plug, but A Mother's Love is a very good example of that because it um, is a gospel film, but it has no church scene, no choir song, no preacher, and it takes a very different path to help you see the importance of keeping God first and foremost in a life and in a relationship. Have you followed the work of Kirk Cameron? Kirk Cameron, yeah. Um, he was in Fireproof, which I own, did a very good job in that. It, it wasn't like brilliant acting. It was more or less solid character playing. Um you know, it was a good movie with a good message. And you look at a message movie, you don't necessarily have to look for the depth of the performance and the extravagance and the overproduced aspects of it. A good story sticks with you because you want it to or you need it to. That's right, yeah. So I, I guess you would see yourself making those kinds of films, I guess more of the gospel kind of films. Yeah, some gospel and some that are a little bit more raw because if you don't hit the secular man where he lives and you can't pull him in and teach him any better. But I'm not into sci-fi and action and all that. I want to do things that deal with something about creating some better values. Absolutely. Identifying ways to create better values, yeah. Hmm. The directors in Hollywood now, what are some of the ones now you think are, let's say, in your camp that are, I can't say like you necessarily, but um, kind of think the way you think. Uh, in my camp, the people that think the way I think, what were we saying about them? Or are we produced or produce the kind of, of movies you're trying to produce? Um you talking about people who work with me directly or just in, or just my peers? Just, just, just in general, just uh, any director you know, you know, uh, 
in Hollywood? Uh, I mean, there are a number of people. Uh, Jenks Morton did what black men think in a few other films, and he okay. called me and said that my film, Tired Black Man, was a direct inspiration to him, and that's the reason he decided to start doing it himself. Phil okay, Dispond okay. About, um, Tommy Stotelmoyar, uh, a, a YouTube personality. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know him. I sat with him and told him he'd make a film and gave him some motivation and a few guidelines. He went out and bought the same camera I have, and now he's, you know, going toward making his film. You know, I told right. him I used uh, crowdfunding, and now he's taking it moving forward. So, uh, okay. Tariq Nishida also, I believe, is inspired by uh, my film. So, films that are showing things from a different side are now starting to trickle into the uh, mainstream offering because you can't just keep doing the same messages not looking at a bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What what advice would you give uh, aspiring filmmakers? Wow, that's always hard. Uh, there's no magic single piece of advice, but I'll say that uh, it takes tenacity. Uh-huh. Uh, the best thing you can do is get your hands on, on equipment, which is much cheaper now, and use it and use it and use it until you start to uh, define yourself. Uh, you have to make a few mistakes to find out what doesn't work, and you find out what does work, and you keep uh, honing it down and honing it down until you end up with your own personal formula for your film success. It's almost like gumbo. All gumbo has the same basic ingredients, chicken, sausage, shrimp, okra, you know, but it depends on how you mix it, what your ratio right. of this to that is. So you have to design uh, your film career with some continuity and not just random things that you just do without thinking about how it builds your brand or your legacy. Hmm. What do you look for in actors? Uh, Coherency, cohesiveness, and consistency. And when somebody has that thing, you can just tell, wow, that's it. And... They have to be able to deliver on demand for days and days, regardless of what time of day it is, and always bring that character to life in that particular situation at that particular piece of time. It can even be shot days apart and still cut together like it was shot contiguously. But that relies on an actor who can channel and control their emotion and be consistent with it. And not one performance was up here and the next performance was down there. They have to know where their center is and know when they're playing it to the middle, playing it above, or playing it beneath. And that's what a good actor does. Okay. Okay. And uh, talk a little bit about your audition process. I have an interesting process. I don't really have one. Um, hmm. I've been a fashion photographer for so many years and shooting so many headshots and those so many actors. I'm doing something, I just oh. call people and say, hey, you know, I got a part for you, I want you to do. And pretty much I know who they are, I know what you expect out of them, they give me just about what I expected out of them. So I've never really had to do a lot of castings and, and things along that line. I just pick up the phone and call people I know. Yeah, that's good to have a, a previous uh, relationship with actors that... Uh, you already know what they can do. You know, you don't have to waste all that time and money trying to bring people in and try to read people and 
all that kind of thing. But segues into my next question. Um, what do you think separates an average actor from a good one? An average actor from a good one. An average actor does average actor things. An average actor just have this genericness about them. There's nothing exceptional. Okay. And a good actor takes you someplace, and either you get completely submerged in the cam, uh, the character, uh-huh. or you become enthralled with their amazing performance. Sometimes a great mm. actor, you see a performance, and you look at it as, wow, what a great performance. And other times, it's just plain and simply real, and just looking at it like, wow. And you, and you forget that they're actors. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you you yeah. watch a great performance and you forget that uh, it's an actor there, and that uh, you know they become they become that character. Like for example, one of my favorite is uh, Jamie Foxx when he played Ray. He's sort of like I thought I was watching Ray Charles for two and a half hours. I mean, that's I guess that's the, the goal. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that's that's really what it comes down to. So I want to take a look at, in your opinion, some of the, I think some of the better film performances that you can you can recall. Try to see if you can go back and give me me three great performances that you've seen. Either well, anytime you know, recently or in the past, or I think three great film performances that that really blew you away. Oh, that would have to be The Godfather. Um, I think those films were near perfect. What's that? And the Godfather. Godfather. Okay, and what's the second one? One and two. Uh, let's see. What other film really? I see some of these films are good for different reasons. Yeah. Some are technically very good. Some are technically brilliant. Some are, are so transparent that they're transformative and they just become whatever you're looking at. You just submerge in them. And there are others that constantly remind you that they're a movie and make you enjoy the fact that they're a movie. Uh-huh. Um, I've seen some brilliant movies. Uh I think Inglorious Bastards was brilliant visually and, and the message and the sarcastic humor and the intensity. Uh, let's see. What else is favorite? Uh, when I try to do this, somebody come rushing to mind. I can't spin any out because there's so many great ones. <laughs> but I'd say that I always default to The Godfather and think my pick for the best movie ever made. Hmm. Why is that? Oh, such a grand scale. The movie was epic. The size and the breadth and the width of the, the stage that these characters lived in uh, in that film. You know, uh, yeah, it was just amazing. It felt so real. It was very convincing. They really don't make movies it, like that. I mean, go ahead. There were certain movies in the, in the 70s and 80s that were just brilliant, like Fame. That movie was... Um, you can't make movies like that because now the actors are too thin and they're trying to be a character because of who they are. 
and they don't even cast actors for their ability to act. They cast actors who are the people that they feel they want as a character. And most actors are just doing themselves and just saying lines. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned that. Uh, I had uh, Gianni Russo on the show last week. He played Carlo in The Godfather, and uh, he had some very interesting stories to tell about being on that set. Oh, yeah, a lot of interesting things on that set. Perhaps uh, yeah. Coppola. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's a little bit of static on the line. Can you, you speak up a little bit? Um, okay, I can hear a lot time. better. Can you hear yeah. me now? Okay, great. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So now you've got the the diary of a tired black man. You got that trilogy. You're still you're still working on, and we talked about oh, yeah. TV, possible TV uh, development. Right. And what are some other things you see in your future? Well, I want to do a lot more public speaking, universities, uh, uh-huh. prisons, foster kids, high schools, wherever. Um, okay. And uh, I want to do some radio and um, okay. lots and lots of films. And basically, I'm going to be doing a, becoming more of a public figure on a broader level. And Yeah. Yeah, I think you have a, a, of a touch of, a, of being an activist. So that because that reminds me of uh, now back in the day, they told me they told me back in in '06 you you were on the air with uh, the Reverend Al Sharpton. Right. It was a very very entertaining. Uh, very. I haven't, I didn't hear it. I didn't have the pleasure of hearing it. But uh, what's some of the touch, topics that you you guys uh, touched on in that show? Uh, I'm sorry, it, it, it was just for a minute. What are some of the topics that you touched on? The which show? Yeah, what that? some of the, why was that such a popular show back then? What show was that? This the show you did with uh, you did a, a notable show with uh, Reverend Al Sharpton back in 2006. Oh, Reverend Al Sharpton. I'm sorry, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you hear me okay? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you okay now. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay, Sharpton, good, good. It was the the tone, the timing. Um, no one had used the media in an open way to tell black women what was wrong with them and point out their error, their responsibility, and why our relationships aren't working. Okay. Before January the 6th, 2006, when I posted the first three-minute clip of Tired Black Man and uh-huh. then followed it up a little over a year later with the finished film. Right. At that time, I was a, considered a very brave man to actually go up against, so to speak, the you know the diaspora of African American women with my opinion about what they're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And nobody had ever attempted that before then. If you go to YouTube, you can find tons of videos of men and women saying what's wrong with black women, what they need to know, and what they need to take responsibility for. But not mm-hmm. one of them. Days January the sixth, two thousand and six, not one. Uh-huh. You won't watch it. So mine was the first shot that opened the door for a lot of other people to come out and start to express and verbalize the way they feel about these situations. Right, right. Okay, okay. So you know when he called me, 
no one had done that before, and he had me on three times. He said I was his best, his, his most popular guest ever, and he had, even had me on for his Fourth of July special, where he has okay. every year he takes his most popular guest and has them on has them on on the Fourth of July. And I was that guest because when I come on, I would pretty much shake everybody in a way they had never heard it, and so right. it was um, um, it was the right place, right time, it, it, it was the beginning of this new, for lack of a better word, movement to re-energize men and empower them and help them to, to find their places, and the only way they can find their places for a woman to find her place and stop trying to stand and walk in his. For sure, for sure. Okay, so we're, we're going to, uh, we're kind of getting short on time here. Let's, um, I want to ask, uh, throw a real dangerous kind of question out here and see if you can give me a, a good answer, and then after you answer that question, kind of let everybody know how they can find all your, your projects and keep up with you and, and all that good stuff. So let me ask you the $64,000 question, and I'll make, uh-huh. it, I'll, I'll make it. What's that now? I said, uh-huh, what is that? Yeah. Okay, and, uh, okay I'll make it race neutral. What do you think uh, today in the United States, uh, Western society, what is the key to harmonious male-female relationships? Um, I'm sorry. It just, just ask that question again. I'm sorry. Just <laughs> could you ask that okay, question what, again? What, is, what, what do you think is the key to harmonious male-female relationships. The key to harmonious male-female relationships is really fixing yourself first. Each one of us is responsible for one set of genitals, one set of choices, one set of values, one set of decisions. And when we choose who we want to align our lives with, that is a very big decision. Picking the right person is paramount you pick the right person, you have to then be the right person for them as well. And you have to work on what can I do to make me better? What can I do to fit this person better? Don't be afraid to compromise. And if you pick someone who's equally as compromising and sincere about being the best for you, then you actually have something that's workable. But what we have is too many relationships of two independently functioning individual people who come together for arterial motives, assets, image, sex, material things, status, whatever they come together for, or just because it's fun. Sometimes because they crave the dysfunction that they get from that person because they see their broken side. But the key to a good relationship is first being healthy and then aligning yourself with another healthy person. That's a good answer. Okay, and just finally, uh, just tell us where we can uh, keep up with all your projects, man. Well, um, I hold court on Facebook a lot. On Facebook, I'm Kim Alexander LA on Facebook. And then also, I'm going to be opening up a fan page called Kim Alexander Speaks. Kim okay. Alexander Speaks. And that's going to be my public speaking and another place for me to share all these opinions and views I have. Uh, basically, I try to jar people into thinking. And not a whole lot is sacred when it comes to what I'll do to 
shock people's brain out of, out of um, the stupor that it's in. Because if we don't start to think and challenge and grow and look past uh, where we're allowing ourselves to stick at, we're not going to grow and advance anything that's useful. And, uh, you know, it's very important that we really dislodge ourselves from being complacent with the way things are and realize that it's only going to be what we make it. And we have to fix the world around us because nothing is going to globally fix anything. We're all individual people, almost like cells in a body. And if um, each of us fixes ourselves, then we just kind of become a better collective people. But we have to work on fixing ourselves. And we are the key to fixing society. The more we allow ourselves to be broken, the more we perpetuate brokenness by raising broken people. And, you know, we have to fix these broken homes. You fix broken homes by making sure that when you make with somebody, you make a child that you do everything necessary to keep that relationship healthy so that child can have two healthy parents to raise them. Well said, well said. Well, Tim, uh, it was really great to have you on the show. Uh, I thank you for coming on the show, man. Okay, thank you. Sorry if I sound a little tired tonight. I'm exhausted. I've been working since 4 this morning, so <laughs> I'm a little beat up. But um, yeah. I you know, hope that's something that can help somebody out a little bit. Okay. And, yeah. All cool, right. cool, cool. All right. Okay, Tim. Well, you have a blessed week, man, uh, and a uh, great week, and good night to you. And same to you. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. For sure. For sure. Okay. So we're going to move on to uh, Hollywood actress, Chanel Ryan. She has appeared in nearly 50 pictures. She has been written up in Searnet and the UK horror scene. And I believe she's also out there in sunny California. Let me bring her on in. Hi, Chanel. What's going on? Hey, William. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. So uh, how's the weather out there in L.A.? Uh, you know, I want to say it's sunny and beautiful, but it's actually been... Uh, raining. We've had some much-needed rain last night, and hopefully again tonight. We'll see. Okay. All right. Well, it's a <laughs> damn sight better than here in D.C. It's uh, kind of cold and windy. The hawk is out, and it's snow on the ground, and it's ugly. Um, sure. I filmed uh, Dracul in D.C. last, the end of November, and I was yeah. so cold. You know, I'm even though I'm originally from the East Coast, I'm not used mm-hmm. to the cold weather anymore, being out here in California. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, I was so cold when we were filming. We were on night shoots that it was difficult for me to talk. My face was kind of frozen. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was losing a little bit of my facial expression because I was just, I was numb. So, yeah. yeah I feel your ears pretty. probably got cold, too. Them, too. Everything. Every part of me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, speaking of uh, the frightful weather and all that stuff, uh, that, that segues right into horror movies. So uh, it's <laughs> like you do a lot of those movies. Now, why are horror movies so popular these days? This is true. Um, you know, I think horror movies are popular for a couple of reasons. First, 
there's just a huge demand from the viewers, and the fans are just insatiable. The, the horror fans are the best, by the way. So I give all the mm. horror fans out there a big shout-out. Uh, you know, the second reason, I think you can make horror films for relatively inexpensive and quickly. So the turnaround time is good, which is, you know, everybody likes that, compared to, you know, a lot of big studio pictures. So I think that makes them appealing to a lot of investors. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Look at the uh, Walking Dead phenomenon, all these zombie pictures. It's 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 insane out here. So now I want you to define a word for me. Let me see if I'm What's pronouncing that? it right. <laughs> Chor- chorophobia. Oh, so you have been paying attention to my Instagram. Um, chlorophobia is a fear of clowns. And the term was, I know. And you know, the funny thing is there's 12% of adults actually suffer from this. And I guess the term was made up back in the, it was made up back in the 1980s. And someone, I have a a horror film coming out called Circus of the Dead. And somebody actually sent me, um, some information on it and then it was a kind of a weird thing somebody sent me some information and I happened to be watching something on the history channel one night and all of a sudden the pictures came up and of course I had to freeze frame it and snap it with my camera and post them but um yep that's what chlorophobia is the fear of clowns wow <laughs> I think of Stephen King's it and all that stuff and uh that's good that scary Rock poop, uh, insane clown posse, and all that stuff. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I gotta tell you, I I was never. I I, asked, I think my brother's actually scared of clowns. I was. He's in the mountains. <laughs> I was never scared of clowns, and until filming Circus of the Dead, now I have a whole new way of looking at mm. our our painted friends. Okay, well, I'll state for the record, I'm not afraid of clowns. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand the fear, but. <laughs> it's like the boogeyman, I guess. What's that now? I said it's like the boogeyman. It's the fear of the, the unknown. And... Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. You've been in over 30 commercials. Now, what's been the key to your success there? Oh, um, you know, on one of my very first jobs that I ever did, a photographer told me something that has always stuck with me. He said, smiles equal dollar signs. Um, Hmm. You know, I think the, the key with commercials, well, like anything else in the entertainment industry, everything is subjective. Yeah. But I, I think there's a couple ingredients to being successful in commercials. One mm. is you, you have to smile a lot. The other is you have to have a ton of energy. And I have more energy than any one person should have. Um, and then the fact that I'm small, I think. I'm only 5'5". Five five, so I make, for example, if it's a car commercial, the car looks larger. If it's for furniture, the furniture looks larger. If it's for uh, pool rafts they look larger, jacuzzis, whatever it is. Because I'm not a big person, I make all the objects look more spacious than they are. Um, so if I had to guess, you know, those are a couple okay. options. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Smiles <laughs> equal dollar signs. Remember that, folks. Smiles exactly. indeed equal dollar signs. Yes, indeed. Yep. 
So what's uh, you mentioned Dracula? Um, I know I've seen the first episode. Um, talk a little bit more about that. Maybe some funny stories from the set. Um, you know, how's it doing um, now? What the feedback you got Dracul. about it and all that good stuff? Yeah. Um. Okay. So we filmed Dracul last November in DC. Uh, the director, Michael Marino, who's also the writer, we were in contact probably for a year before, and it was originally supposed to be a film. And then some things changed, so they decided to shoot it as a web series. Um, so far, some of the footage has been edited into the first two episodes, which can be viewed, I'm sure, other places, but I know if you go to my YouTube page, I have a, um, a favorites folder where you can see them there. Uh, what else? Uh, I know that Michael Marino, the director, had an update the other day, and it's, it's, I guess it's being edited to submit to the New York Television Festival. I'm not really sure what any of that means. So that episodes three and four are on hold right now while that's being done. And then uh-huh. I guess they'll be released later. I'm not quite sure. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Tell me a little so bit was more a fun about... Shoot. Yeah, go ahead. What do you want to know? I was going to say it's a fun yeah, shoot. Yeah, it, it was a fun shoot. You know, I, haven't, and? I haven't spent much time in D.C. since I was little. And um, it was pretty amazing. All the locations were just loaded with history. The park we shot in, right in the background, you can see Capitol Hill. It's just the big white building there glowing. Um, another one of the locations was this amazing old railroad tunnel right along the Potomac River. And... It was kind of cool just being shooting in there, thinking back in the day, you know, the trains used to pull right up to the dock where the ships unloaded and then bring everything through this tunnel. So it was it was kind of neat filming there, just feeling all the history. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of history in D.C., a lot of history. So tell me a little bit more about uh, Circus of the Dead. What's that all about? Circus of the Dead is the brainchild of the demented Billy Pond. Um, I'm very excited about it. It is having its world premiere at Texas Frightmare this coming May, and then we're having the East Coast premiere at another big uh, festival convention called Bizarre AC in Atlantic City. I believe that's at the beginning of June. Um, stars the amazing Bill Obrist Jr. as Papa Corn, the leader of the clown posse, um, directed by Billy Pond. Uh, Parrish Randall plays my husband. What can I tell you without giving it away? Um, I am a housewife who is a little bit frustrated and wished that my husband made his family more of a priority and was more present for us and spent more time with us. And uh, we go to the circus and all hell breaks loose. And you're going to have to see it to learn more. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Exactly. He finally takes you on a date to the circus. <laughs> and, uh, exactly. Mm, so now, and then uh, this part of your career, do you think you get cast more because of auditions or word of mouth? Um, I mean, for the most part from auditions is up until 
recently. I mean, for the most part, I'll have directors contact me that want to work with me now. And, I, like, I get scripts sent to me every week, and all my hard work is really starting to pay off. But up until, you know, I don't know, six months ago, I really auditioned for everything. And I still audition for, um, you know, a lot of big films and TV shows. But it's, it's a little bit of both. I think word of mouth, people, there are other actors I've worked with or directors who, um, you know, pass my info along and give me good feedback. And I guess that's part of what makes the world go around. If I was to look at 25 of your recent auditions on video, would I see the same approach in each one, or would you, or would I see different approaches to each one? What do you mean the same approach? I'm confused by that. Yeah, by that I mean, do you have, could I see, if I'm a drama coach, could I see you using the same actor's tools in each one? Or would I see um, someone who prepares mean, differently I, for each I one? I mean, every part is completely different. Like, there's, uh, I mean, something I'm, uh, I'm that, doing I'm where, good. yeah. I mean, every part I prepare differently for. There's a film I do in Louisiana, and you know, I ha I got full weapons training for that. So on top of the emotional work that you would do and, you know, all the character development, there's the physicality that goes along with it. So for that film, I have weapons training. There's another film I am up for right now that I, my character has a debilitating disease. So that's a completely different way of prepping for that. Another project I do coming up in Chicago, um, you know, she's dealing with a lot of emotional stuff. Every character is different. There's, I mean, there's no way to do it, but just to get into it and do the research and, you know, just start making choices and start working with it. And then it all kind of comes together. Okay, okay, let me but say I'm, this. I'm not one of those actors that things come particularly easy for at first. I think I really have to sort of work at things, and I put in a lot of time, and then all of a sudden it all comes together, and I'm like, okay, cool. Okay, but this is what I'm going to throw at you now. Now, what if it's an ice-cold read on short notice? What are some of the tools you would bring into that? Cold reads are so easy because you're going, I mean, basically you, you want to assess what's your objective, what's your relationship, you know, like what am I trying to get out of this, and then you just keep that in mind. You throw everything out the window and you go with your instincts. I, cold reads are easy, for, for me anyway. I find them to be very easy. And usually your first take on things are pretty accurate. Hmm. So you, 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 would, you would advise trust your instincts. You have to trust your instincts as an actor. If you don't, yeah, you have nowhere to go. <laughs> At some point in time, you kind of have to decide, okay, I've, I put the work in, I've made my decisions, I've done my research, you know, I've done all the legwork, now I have to throw it out the window and just go for it. Absolutely, absolutely, real talk. Okay, so what, what's been your favorite role? Uh, I haven't played it yet, I don't think. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of, <laughs> I mean, every project you do is fun, and it's, you know, different pieces of you. Um, I had a lot of fun on Bad Kids. Um, 
I could go to hell. It's, you know, she, I love playing the, I love comedy. And, you know, it, she's sort of like overzealous and just loaded with school spirit in a school where there's just yeah. no school spirit. Um, so that was very fun. Um, Circus of the Dead was a fun one just because she just has so much, you know, going on. And she's so sort of buttoned up in the way she lives her life. So that was fun. Um, I mean, every project you do is fun, just for different reasons. I had a lot of fun on Scum Rocks, too, kind of trying to play like a, a, a really ditzy character, but without making her overly stupid and a caricature. Hmm. Okay. All right, we're going to switch gears into modeling. You've modeled before. What are some of the publications <laughs> you've been in? Oh, my gosh, I modeled for years. Um, I've been all over the world. Uh, that you would know of, gosh, uh, FHM and Maxim magazines all over the world, Playboy, Ralph, should I start rattling off magazines? Uh, Stepping Out, Woman's World, Self, People, Nuts, Femme Fatale, Men's Edge, DT, CKM, Ice. Uh, et cetera, okay, et you can stop. <laughs> I know, and I've but, like the companies you would know. Like I've modeled for Fredericks of Hollywood and Harley Davidson, Anheuser Busch, Miller Brewing, um, Harrow's Casinos, Spree Candy, Berkeley and Spot, like on and on and on. Um, yeah, modeling modeling has been very good to me. <laughs> I joke that modeling used to be my my day job. And you know what? Uh, um, so I'm reminded of what you said about uh, smiles equals equals dollars. Smiles equals dollar signs. It's very true. Take care so of those pretty lights. Right. So it applies to modeling too, of course. Depending on what what product you're modeling for, but yeah, I mean for okay. for my my brand, yes, smiles are definitely they've been good for me. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the in the world of commercial print and advertising, yeah. commercials, yeah, smiles are usually a good thing. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. They tell me you're good with a gun. Have you had training? <laughs> yes. As a matter of fact, I have had extensive weapons training. Um, you know, I, 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 I had... A minimal amount of training before just because I felt like if I was going to own a gun I need to you know know what to do with it and then when I booked the role in Halo Theory I I have a friend who happens to be an instructor that trains both military and SWAT and he kind of we were getting together just about every night so I now have full tactical weapons training I'm proficient with handguns and automatic rifles and shotguns as well as hand-to-hand combat, including knife and firearm disarmament. <laughs> um, I discovered I was kind of good at it and the feeling of being able to defend myself. But cross my fingers, I hope I'm never going to have to, but it's, it's nice to know that, you know, if it came down to it, I know what to do. Yeah, that's, that's a very reassuring feeling. Now, I want to go back to uh, Bad Kids Go to Hell. What's going on? I'm sorry, Bad Kids Go to Hell 2. What's going on with that film? You know, I am so excited. We're going to shoot Bad Kids Go to Hell 2 this summer in the scorching Texas heat. Um, 
I'm reprising my role as Miss Gleason, along with Judd Master Na- Nash. Judd Nelson will be coming back as Headmaster Nash, and Ben Browder will be coming back as Max. Um, what else can I say? As far as I know, everyone else in the cast is brand new because they did not make it. So we're the only three cast members that are coming back. And, uh, yeah, Bad Kids, I, the script is, I think that uh, Bad Kids fans will be very happy. Mm. I think it's going to, yeah, I think it's going to take them, it's going to be a fun script, fun project. No, no. Now, Chanel, you mentioned a name I have not heard in many a year. Judd Nelson. Did you say Judd Nelson? I absolutely did. Wow. I have not seen him since New Jack City in the spring of 1991. Judd Nelson works all the time. Are you kidding? (laughs) I'm just messing with it. I'm sure he works all the time, but he was a big big star in the 80s. Yeah. I'm sure he's doing fantastic. Yeah, but... Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Judd Nelson's absolutely. kind of legendary. <laughs> oh, I know he is. I know he is. I'm I'm a little bit older than you. I know. I know. I know all about Judd Nelson. So that's, that's fantastic. So, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, if you survive, you survive the movie, you also survive uh, the play the next one. So that's it. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. I've never been in a sequel, so I'm excited about it. It should be fun. Okay, that's fantastic. So now I hear that you've been active in animal rights. Uh, What have you done in support of that lately? Uh, You know, I'm a huge animal advocate. Um, I constantly try to educate people, and I end every interview that I can with a shout-out to my animal friends. Um... You know, I can't stress the importance enough of spaying and neutering your pets. And if you're thinking about getting a pet, please check your local shelter or animal rescue. There's so many wonderful animals that need homes. Don't support the puppy nose. Be part of the problem, not the solution. Um, What else have I done? You know, I'm the person who's always... Uh, be part of the solution, not the problem. Sorry. Um, I'm the person who's always pulling over on the side of the road and rescuing that lost dog and hopefully returning it to its owner. Um, Last year, I don't know how many dogs I fostered, probably six and Mm. three cats and found homes for for them. Homes for them, I can't even talk. Um, You know, I regularly help. It's called TNR. It's a program that's called Trap, Neuter, and Return. And I regularly help uh, spay feral cats through this program. Um, Mm. You know, oftentimes... In a lot of neighborhoods, there'll be a stray cat population, and usually there's someone in the neighborhood who looks after them and feeds them. So they have shelter and they're fed, but the main thing is they need to be fixed so that they stop multiplying, um, so they can just live a nice life and not take over. That's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So uh, how can fans keep track of all your wonderful projects? Um... Oh, wow. You know, I'm on... Oh, the best way is to go to my website, chanelryan.com, and if you scroll down to the bottom of the splash page, there's links to everything. I'm on my IMDb page, my Instagram, my Twitter, my YouTube channel, my Facebook, and I try to... Um, I'm good about posting things on all of them, so I try to keep them all current. 
Well, uh, Chanel, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. You've been a fantastic guest. Well, thank you for having me. And we'll have to come on again sometime, and we'll bring, as it gets closer to the release of Circus of the Dead, and we can bring Billy Pond and Bill Oberst on with me. In fact, I was asking Bill, um, both of them, to call in when I was here, and I was receiving text and email from now, one of them. Now, hold on now. Hold on. What's... I do see a number on the switchboard here, uh, 432. Oh, don't uh, say that... it out loud. <laughs> well, no, I'm only going to... Uh, I've been doing this um, show for a know. while. Hold on, let me see what... Let me see what I, it, yeah, I'm just, I just said the zip code, 432. Does that sound uh, familiar? Oh, no, Bill Over is the saying. He's on That's the set, so he can't call in. But next time... So Bill Obert yeah. says hello to everyone. Um, so now you're like, come on, you know I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna get the guy's number out, but okay. <laughs> but uh, that would not be cool. That would not be cool if I, I did that. I did one a radio interview um, in my hometown, and um, uh-huh. oh, remained anonymous. But while I was in there, my phone was ringing, and it was a fairly well-known actor, and the guest answered the phone, and then proceeded to go through my phone and start calling other people while we were on the air. The host did, sorry. So, yeah, Jesus you never Christ. know. That's <laughs> not nice. Know. Well, I would say we have the so, utmost really professionalism here. You know, who's, you, acting, know who's so. calling, <laughs> you know who's calling with the 432 area code? I think that that would be Director Mr. Billy Pond calling from Odessa, Texas. So if you want to answer that, we can chat with him for a minute. Okay, I, I kind of... You had some static on the line. What, what was his name again, Mr. Kahn? Uh, no, Billy Pawn, the director of Pawn. Billy Pawn. Okay. I believe that that okay, is me, him calling from Odessa. You believe Texas. that's him? Okay. I do. Let me see if I can. Okay, Billy, I'm gonna put you on the air. If uh, if this is you, let's see if I can bring you in right quick. Billy Pawn. Yes. yes, this is mystery caller number one. <laughs> okay, I <laughs> got you. I was like, you know, put me on the spot. She said she thought I was gonna put your number out on the air. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm How calling from uh, I'm calling from work, so it wouldn't matter much. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All That's right. Hilarious. Okay. Yeah. So then, how did you uh, how did you meet Chanel? I met uh, Chanel through some uh, mutual acting friends. Through Andrew, and, I know. Yeah. And have, have I even ever thanked Andrew? I'm sure I have, but Andrew Sensenade, you rock my world. Thank you so much for introducing me to Billy. He's a super good guy. Uh, I hope we get me and him get to work together on our next project is what what we're hoping for. Yeah, he's okay. he's actually in. This is diverge a little. Bit. He's actually in Halo Theory, the project I do coming right. up in Louisiana. So. Um, okay. So, yeah, so Billy's the one you want to talk to about Circus of the Dead because he's the demonic mastermind behind it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I know Chanel already uh, talked about the basic synopsis of it and everything. It sounds it sounds like a good movie. I, I want to see it. It's uh, It, it sounds like it has some family themes going on there. And then it gets into, they go to a, uh, circus and then all hell breaks loose. So what? I mean, what? What's kind of the? Because when I hear about a film like that, I'm thinking about like Stephen King's It, um, some other films in the in the in the past. So what's some of the things that um, that that wanted you to make a film that that touched on those subjects? 
Well, I mean, you know, I listened to your show from the beginning, and you had the uh, guest on first, and he was talking about, like, good, wholesome movies and sending a good message. And then I kind of <laughs> felt bad because I'm, like, the complete opposite end of that spectrum. Yeah. With this, <laughs> is, this, <laughs> this kind of movie leaves you just kind of feeling, you know, bad that you're, you know, probably even born. So <laughs> I don't know if it's good that way, but I, I, I always say people say, well, you know, since you're you're like really a nice guy, Billy, why do you make these kind of movies? And I go, I like roller coasters, and this is a roller coaster for your mind. Is what I like. Oh, you know what I mean? roller I like coaster that. for your mind. Hey, okay, smells equal dollars and, and roller coasters for the mind. I like that. Good now, slogan. the reason I made this though is see, there's there's a lot of clown movies and stuff out there, and um, I'm always one to take like a challenge. Is is I don't if it's easy, I don't want it. It's only things that you know are kind of hard to come by. Yeah. Well, if you watch these, you know, mostly the movies are either, you know, even though the the Pennywise, you know, wasn't it was kind of more paranormal and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to make a kind of a anti-clown movie. I wanted to make a movie that was just, you know, they're actually just serial killers. They're just day jobs happen to be happen to be a clown. So I wanted to do a kind of movie that was just kind of a throwback to the 70s, you know, kind of like a dog day afternoon kind of thing or something. It was just kind of just like a a violent kind of take on it, except it was only funny because of, you know, the kind of like the uh you know, like of a black comedy kind of thing where, you know, you shouldn't be laughing at what's happening, but you kind of find yourself rooting for kind of the uh, the evildoers in this movie, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort I'm of personally, like the, uh, the I'm personally voting for – I'm sorry. Go ahead. The Saw movies are kind of like that. I mean, I, I admit that uh, I can have a macabre sense of humor. One of the – the shows we watch around here is um, what was the show we used to watch? Uh, it's on Netflix now. Uh, uh, what's the show? A thousand ways to die. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a thousand ways to die. The other one is uh, what's the other one? Um, oh, the saw the saw uh, movies. It's sort of like the guys, the people getting killed are just so. I, it's just so dumb, it seemed like, and it's sort of like, I guess it's sort of the same vibe. Well, there, there, I guess you, it's, like it's, I say, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, you know, sometimes, you know, it's like, it, it's like Chanel was saying with the horror fans is, is kind of once you get into the horror thing, I mean, the fans are the greatest thing, and, and first and foremost, I'm a fan, and I just always wanted to do this my whole life, you know, after seeing Star Wars as a kid to make movies. And then I stumbled onto, you know, the mom and pa video stores where they didn't care about what, you know, what your age was. And my mom didn't pay too much attention, so I kind of started renting things I probably shouldn't, shouldn't have seen. And it just turned me into horror, you know. And my dad, you know, always saying, hey, did you see this one? Did you see this one? And I just started going backwards and falling in love with the classics, you know, like Psycho and the original Chainsaw Massacre and stuff. And uh, I just want to bring a little bit of, uh, you know quality back to, you know, indie horror is what I'm trying to do. And that's my goal. And I, and I think I achieved it with this movie. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just for the yeah. record, I'm, I'm voting for Tiffany in Circus of the Dead, is who I'm voting for. I'm not, I'm not voting for <laughs> <laughs> William, I just hope I don't owe you a, an apology after you see it, because there's some... Uh, some violent, twisted things that are going to go on in this movie, and uh, it's it's people are going to be talking, so uh, it's probably up there with Human Centipede in, in a sense. I've I've uh, I've seen it all, so I don't think it will. All right, good. Will I'm going to remember you said that. Okay, so we'll talk again. Well, I remember. 
<laughs> I remember when you cast me, and he was like, well, I'm glad. What, what did you say to me? I'm glad you're not scared of the role. Well, there's I'm a like, lot of no. people that were scared. I mean, they, they'd they read the script and stuff like that, and, and you know, I got to hand it, you know, to Chanel, you know, in the better ways is, you know, somebody, you know, he was talking about what makes a good actor or actress, and I say is they got to have big balls and, you know, kind of go for it, and uh, she she wasn't scared of anything, and, and I'll tell you the way Bill was. Bill's like a ball of dynamite, and he was roughing her up pretty good, and we got a little trailer on, you know, the internet now where he's licking her face and stuff, and that's that's just a little <laughs> blurp of the licking. That licking went on for about 20, 30 minutes in real life. So yeah, I got I got licked and slobbered on for quite some time. Yeah. And oh, another little tidbit as well. I actually had a I think my toe was broken. He wears these big clown boots, and we're running through the kitchen, and I fall down at one point, and I I think it got stepped on in like three separate takes, and it hurt so bad and he kept apologizing he'd apologize after every take and then eventually it turned like a bright purple black color which is never good um yeah and then it got it got kicked again later in another scene so my poor toe it's healed now william it's very surreal in the sense of because bill's like a really sweet person you know and Mm -hmm. and then when it's when you say action though it's he's popcorn and it's kind of scary sometimes i feel like i should uh grab a club and start knocking them off people or something because it seems real when you're there filming and stuff like that and then uh but when you say cut then he's back to you know super nice nice guy bill and all that but uh but when yeah he turned it on he and he roughed her up pretty good and uh they did great uh there's some parts where they're screaming back and forth at each other face to face and man it's just some of the best stuff i've ever seen Woo-hoo. Well, I can't wait to yeah, see. Yeah, I'm looking at your, your IMDb picture here. You, uh, you, you dangerous-looking dude here. You got a got a uh, semi-automatic rifle there. You kind of perch it on your your shoulder there. You kind of looking kind of intense there. Well, William, this I'm in Texas, man. Texas people they don't kind of give a shit about things either. <laughs> Everybody's got guns here, buddy. Yeah. Yep. Welcome yep. to Texas. What was right? it, this, this famous writer? Uh, what was it? Uh, Tucker Max was talking about he went down to Austin somewhere and the guy had like in his truck you know, like three or four guns on his gun rack and then there's one in the glove box and there's one under the seat. There's like, I mean, that was just one vehicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never it know, right? Crazy. <laughs> I guess I guess not. I guess not. Wow, I'm just looking at the the. I'm just looking at the page here. Oh goodness, this this is a very intense film. It just looks very very intense. Well, make sure and check out the two teaser trailers we have. We'll have the uh, actual trailer coming out here probably in a couple of weeks. And and like Chanel was saying too, is I've I've been really uh, uh, close knit with all the footage. I haven't let too much stuff out and stuff like that. I let her see some of her stuff, but not the really uh, intense <laughs> crazy stuff yet. I haven't let her. I haven't even let her see that kind of stuff. So I'm doing really good is keeping that hidden from the world right now. He's going to make me watch it in the theater with everyone else, which is my <laughs> worst nightmare because I hate to watch myself. Well, unless you get I there early, to, we can... I have to watch it alone, exactly. I have to run it, screen it for you when no one's there. Well, no, we can we can watch it. If you want to, we can, I can bring a, a portable DVD player if you want to stop by, and we can watch it, you know, oh, more cool. like on a Thursday yeah, night or something, yeah. That sounds good, yeah. Yeah, because I do come in the day before. That's uh-huh. good. And I do too, so we'll do that, and you won't be too surprised. <laughs> or you might just want to go back home. I don't know. <laughs> you might just say, okay, I'm out of here. This is enough of this. That's funny. Mm. Yeah, I just want to call and say hi to her, William, and uh, it's a pleasure meeting thank you and all you, that. Thank you, Billy. Thanks for calling in, man. Yeah, not a problem. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you again sometime. 
Oh, sure, because I see it's coming out in May. I'd definitely have you on again. Perfect. Okay, you guys have a good night, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, Billy. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. All right, good night. Okay, talk to Bye you later. Um, there okay, were other so people that, was, that were going to – Go ahead. Yeah, that was pretty good. That's uh, that's a good addition to the show there. That's good. Yeah, well, we had a few other people that were going to call in too, and I'm not sure if they ever did or not. No, that was the only other number I saw in there. No one else loves me. No, <laughs> uh, well, you know how people are. They, could, they say they're going to uh, participate, but then they don't. It is just the way. And then they sometimes. go off to dinner. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, either way, it was lovely <laughs> chatting with you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, you've been a very good guest. Uh, have a lot of good insight into the business. I can see why you get so much work. Throw that You're out there. It's coming back to me. Yeah, you put that energy out there to the universe. It uh, definitely comes back. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, okay, well, have a blessed week and uh, break legs. Thank you. You too. And thanks so much for contacting me. Absolutely. Okay. Good night. All right. Bye-bye. All righty. And my dear listeners, let me leave you with this quote from Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope. And the future. Night. Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.